0: This is I hear this bell and I can't help but think, do not ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. So before anything, let's just sit quietly for a minute or two. Anitavata sankara Ubattawaya Damino Upakituani Ruchanti Desang Upasamo Sukho Anitavata Sankara Ubattawayadamino Upakitwani Ruchanti Desang Upasamo Suk all things are impermanent. They have the nature to arise and pass away. For those who understand this in their hearts, there is true happiness. Anijawata Sankara Ubatawa Yadaniu Upakitavani Ruchanti Vesang Upasamo Sukho. So welcome to you all. We gather here this afternoon to honor our true dear heart friend, Stephen Levine, and to stand in the mystery of time and timelessness. It seems, said the Buddha, that although we thought ourselves permanent, we are not. Although we thought ourselves settled, we are not. Although we thought we would last forever we will not. And so we're here both to hold and also to let go, to view with loving awareness and to see what Stephen saw and remember what he saw, the line from Kabir, are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. You could look in the eyes of the person next to you and There would be Stephen, when you know, to look, to bless one another as we pass in the night, and to remember that it is a star at dawn, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, cloud, an echo, a rainbow, a phantom, a dream. Stephen was a poet, and these are the poetic words for thousands of years that speak to this mystery. So welcome.
1: Thank you, Jack. And I also welcome you to this tribute to Stephen Levine. This is our time to honor him and remember him and really celebrate the wealth of gifts he brought to our world. I'm Deborah Chamberlain-Taylor, one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock for a long time, but I also happen to be one of the many, many grateful students of Stephen, one of the many people whose life was completely changed because of this person. And uh, I'd like to see if you, in some way, had your life positively impacted by Stephen Levine, please raise your hand. Okay, well, now can't you just hear Stephen laughing and saying, well, big surprise. Every, everybody in <laughs> my memorial likes me, you know. I could hear him saying that. But for me, it's just really feels so good to be in a room where this many hundreds of people all Have in common our love for Stephen Levine so um, My mother was a sort of nice Republican lady in Southern California perfectly nice Never really did anything particularly spiritual that I ever knew of my whole life and then she had a long illness and I took her a box of cassettes, you know, member cassettes? And uh, it was an entire 10-day conscious living and dying retreat in, a, in an old ratty cardboard box. And I didn't know if she would actually listen since she was my mom. And, um, but she not only listened, she listened, she laid in her bed, she was very sick, and she listened over and over. And when I next visited, she was quoting Stephen, my mother. So she would say things like, Deborah, I have to stop shooting on myself. (laughs) You probably remember him saying that. Um, She would say, uh, what's another one? There were so many. She'd say, oh, this too too shall pass. Or she would say, I have to be responsible to my illness, not for it. And, you know, of course, I told her this already a thousand times, but... (laughs) Stephen said it. And so here's this woman, ordinary person, who listened to tapes of Stephen, and she eventually, at the very end of her life, finally learned to open her heart and love herself. She finally learned to accept and forgive herself and others. And then she came to peace with her death. And so if it was nothing else but that, I will be forever grateful to Stephen. But of course, it was so much more than that. So as we get started here this afternoon, I want to extend my and our um, special welcome to Andrea and Noah and the the visitors. And uh, we extend, I speak for all of us in the room. Our hearts are just with you as you be with this, letting go of Stephen's body. And we also want to send this love, our care, to uh, Stephen's other children, who I think I know is Tara, James. Is there one other? No, Tara and James. No, of course. And then his grandchildren for the loss that they're going through. So um, I think everybody here knows that Stephen was a fountain of creative, poetic wisdom. He brought the Dharma to us in America in a very American way. He made it so fresh and alive and relevant in in a way that the people of this time really needed to hear. And working in such an amazing partnership with Andrea, they innovated uh, ways to apply the Dharma to the needs of our time. So of course, they innovated exercises and meditations and ways of being with people for the, everything to do with death and dying and loss and grief. But they also brought through extraordinary practices for working with people with sexual abuse. They were pioneers together in this whole world of relationship and spiritual practice. So they just offered so much as Dharma to so many of us. So um, if you spend any time around, raise your hand if you never met, were with Stephen in person, but it was just books and online. Wow, great, I'm glad to see that. So if you didn't know it, I will tell you that in addition to all the things I'm saying, he was hysterically funny. So we'd be in a room this big or twice this big filled with and hundreds of really sick people and people who had been through the most disastrous traumas who were dealing with horrible kinds of grief. And yes, we did do grieving together, but we also spent as much or more time laughing together. And that's a gift that of Stephen helping our hearts open, laughing, crying with life as it is. So um, Stephen said, I'm a Buddhist with a Hindu heart or a, a devotional heart. And he happens to, I don't know where Jai went. Uh, are you here, Jai? Yeah, you're up. Um, Stephen loved chanting. He loved to do kirtana. He especially loved Jai Utal, That's him right there. And uh, he he knew and worked with and played with Jai for um, ever since the middle 70s. So... Um, Thank you so much, Jai, for being here. And the drummer, thank you, Daniel Paul, for being with us. So I don't know if you've all done kirtan. It's not a song. It's actually a call and response form of chanting. And it's going to go on for about 15 minutes. I actually
2: had no idea I was going to be chanting. (laughs) So let's, let's sing a kirtan to Radha and Krishna, the eternal beloveds, the eternal lovers. And the words are not difficult. Govinda, let's say that. Govinda. Jaya Jaya. Jaya Jaya. Jaya, jaya. That means victory to Lord Krishna. And then Gopala Jaya Jaya. Gopala Jaya Jaya. And that means victory to Lord Krishna. So let's say the whole first two phrases. Govinda Jaya Jaya. Gopala Jaya Jaya. Go Go vindha vindha jaya,
3: jaya. Gopala Jaya Jaya. Jaya
2: And the third line is Radhe, Radhe, Radhe. Radhe, Radhe, Radhe. And Radhe, 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 Radhe is Krishna's beloved, the divine goddess, the, the, the infinite mother manifest as, as the full lotus of love. So the way it works is I'll sing a line and you all sing it back and I'll sing a line and you all sing it back and I'll sing a line and you all sing it back. And then I sing a line and you'll sing back. And then I'll sing a line and you'll it back. <laughs> Govinda Jaya Jaya, Copala, jaya, jaya, Govinda Jaya,
3: Govinda Jaya
2: jaya. Gopala, jaya jaya Govinda Jaya Jaya Govinda Jaya Rade, jaya. Govinda Jaya Jaya
3: Govinda Jaya,
2: Jaya rah, Radhe, Radhe Govinda Jaya Jaya he Radhe,
3: Jaya
2: Jaya Jaya, Gopalajaya Jaya,
3: Govinda Jaya Jaya, Gopalajaya Jaya,
2: Govinda Jaya Jaya, Gopalajaya Jaya, jaya, jaya.
3: De de, Govinda Jaya Jaya, Gopalajaya
2: Jaya, Sri Radhe, Govinda ra Jaya Jaya, Radhe. And I, I want to encourage you all to not be afraid to sing loud. Most of us don't normally sing loud because most of us don't normally sing. But we all have this huge well of feelings inside of us. So let's sing loud and, and, and express those feelings and, and release them and share them. Okay? Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya Jaya Govinda
3: Jaya Jaya Gopala jaya jaya.
2: Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya, jaya.
3: Govinda Jaya, jaya jay jay Gopal, jay
2: jay jay gobinda jay Gopal, gopala jay jay gobinda jay Gopal, gopala jay jay
3: gobinda jay Gopal,
2: gobal jay jay gobinda radhe radhe Govinda Jaya Jaya Radhe Radhe Govinda Jaya Jaya Shri Radhe Radhe Govinda Jaya Jaya Radhe
3: Radhe
2: Govinda Jaya Jaya, Govinda Jaya Jaya, Govinda
3: Jaya Jaya,
2: Govinda Jaya Jaya, Govinda Jaya Jaya,
3: Govinda Jaya
2: Jaya, Govinda Jaya Jaya, Govinda Jaya Jaya, Govinda Govinda Jaya Jaya, Govinda Jaya Jaya. Sri Radhe Radhe Govinda Jaya Jaya. Radhe Radhe. (inaudible) Govinda jay jay Gopala jay jay Govinda jay jay Gopala jay
3: Govinda
2: jay jay Gopala jay jay Govinda jay jay Gopala
3: jay Govinda jay jay
2: Govinda Jay Rade, Rade, Govinda Jay, Jay Rade,
3: Govinda
2: Jay Rade, Govinda Jay Rade, Govinda Jay Rade, Govinda Jay
3: Rade, Rade.
2: Govinda Shri Rade, Radhe. Govinda Jay, Jay.
3: Shri Rade,
2: Radhe. Govinda Jay, Jay. Shri radhe, radhe, Govinda Jay, Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya Jaya Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya Jaya Govinda
3: Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya
2: Jaya Shri Radhe Radhe Govinda Jaya Jaya Radhe Radhe Govinda Jaya Shri Radhe Radhe Govinda jai jai, Shri Radhe Radhe, Govinda jai jai, Govinda Shri Radhe Radhe, Govinda jai jai, Shri Radhe Sriradhiradhe Radhe Radhe Radhe
3: Radhe
2: Radhe 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 Radhe
3: Radhe
2: Govinda Jay Jay Govinda Jay Jay Govinda Jay Jay Govinda
3: Jay Jay
2: Govinda Jay Jay Govinda Jay Jay Govinda Radhe Radhe Govinda Jay Jay
3: Radhe Radhe govinda jay jay shri
2: radhe radhe govinda jay jay radhe
3: aaye tu bindu govinda
2: jay jay gopal Govinda jay govinda jay jay gopal jay govinda jay Shri radhe radhe govinda jay jaya radhe radhe govinda jaya Govinda jaya Gopal Jayate, jaya Govinda jaya jaya Gopal Govinda Jayate, Govinda
3: Jayate,
2: Gopal Govinda Vinda Jaya, Gopalajaya. Vinda Jaya, Jaya Gopalajaya. Radhe 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 go- Radhe 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 Radhe
3: Radhe 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 Radhe
2: Radhe 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 Radhe
3: Radhe 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 Radhe
2: Radhe 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 Jai Jai Gopala Jai Jai Radha Ramana Hari Gopala Ah, 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 go far. Pala
3: Govinda
2: Govinda
3: Govinda Govinda Jaya,
2: Govinda Govinda Govinda
3: Govinda
2: Pala diatel the Pala the the Pala jaya 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 govinda jaya 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 govinda jaya jaya
3: govinda jaya
2: radhe radhe govinda jaya jaya radhe govinda jaya jaya Shri Radhe 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 Jay-a-dhe, Jay-a-dhe, ra-dhe. Jay-a-dhe, radhe 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 Jay-a-dhe, ra-dhe, ra-dhe. Jay-a-dhe, radhe 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 Jay-a-dhe, Radhe 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 Radhe
1: So after the kirtan, let's just enjoy a few moments of sensing into our heart. This is what Stephen was all about, is opening our heart. Thank you. So the next speaker doesn't require a whole lot of introduction. It happens to be Jack Cornfield. In case you didn't know, he—what could we say? He's a—he's the, the guy. He's the beloved, beloved Jack Cornfield. He happens to be the founder of Spirit Rock. I think that's enough for here. <laughs> Take it away.
0: Thanks, Deborah. It's kind of wild to sit here with you all. In this whole room of people singing that the, the chant Jai, is so beautiful, and that to feel the energy rise up and it's hard to tell whether to dance and laugh or whether to weep or all of the above, which is a kind of invitation to the heart to be full of all of these things, everything that makes us human, which of course was the extraordinary gift of Stephen, and in his honor, I read a a poem from Hafez that speaks to this question of weeping or dancing. Death is a favor to us, but our scales have lost the balance. The impermanence of the body should give us great clarity, deepening the wonder in our senses and eyes of this mysterious existence we share and are surely just traveling through. If I were in the tavern tonight, Hafez would call for drinks. And as the master poured, I would be reminded that all I know of life is that we are just a mid-air flight of golden wine between his pitcher and her cup. (laughs) If I were in the tavern tonight, I would buy freely for everyone in this world because our marriage with the cruel beauty of time and space cannot endure very long. And the miraculous existence And impermanence of form always makes the illumined ones laugh and sing. So you're all illumined. I could see it. And I like it. And Stephen is laughing with you and saying, yes, thank you. I didn't want it to be too grim, he says. Come on. And I I remember Stephen and I, you know, I can see his eyes. Uh, There's that beautiful picture on the program that was handed out to you that's soulful um, and a little bit of a twinkle at the same time, slightly mischievous, you know, or worse at times, depending how (laughs) close you were to him, Um, and immensely loving. And we remember him, I do, all of us that knew him, and let ourselves value and treasure and in some ways still be touched by his spirit. The first time I saw Stephen at his house, I'd met him. He'd come to some re- very first retreats we did, and he was interested in these practices when he was in, in the Haight-Ashbury in the 60s and published an early tract of Mahasi Sayadaw in the 1960s before he'd even come on a retreat. Um, but I went to visit him at his house in Santa Cruz. I guess it was the early 70s. And um, there was a cat living in the garage named Shoebox who he had adopted. I think it was a runaway cat and he would found and Shoebox had a Shoebox to live in, which is how she got her name. But there was something about his relationship to Shoebox that presaged for me his relationship to almost everyone who came to see him. You know, he took the people like this cat who was scared and lost and run away and running through traffic and, and gave her a place and a name with a little bit of humor um, and loved her and tended her. Um, for years, in the way that he loved and tended so many people. Now, his oldest friend, and I have to put on this nose to honor this correctly. This is actually from Wavy Gravy, who's having an 80th birthday celebration today, or we would have been here. And he said, Stephen was my oldest friend. We went to grade school together at PS16 in Albany, New York, from first or fourth grade, depending whose memory you trust, right? <laughs> and then we reunited as beat poets in the 60s in the Greenwich Village. And then we went our ways again, Haight-Ashbury. And then we hooked up with Ram Dass and lots of later adventures starting at camp, um, Campbell and others. And our lives have just been entwined. And he says, so I write a haiku for all my friends. And this is haiku for my oldest friend. Yo, Stephen Levine, teacher of death and dying, now it is you who dies. Mm. So that's from Wavy. Thank you, Wavy. He's here in spirit, as Stephen is. And he had such a big heart and such a kind of fierce dedication to tenderness and to love that he was willing to sit in the fire of people suffering and their loss, and their dying, and their abuse, and all those things together with his partner and beloved, Andrea. Um, Prisons, you name it, where people were suffering. And like the Bodhisattva of Compassion, whose vow is, oh, where they're suffering, let me go there. Let me turn to that place where the tears are flowing, where the loss is the greatest, because that's also the opening to the greatest compassion, to to the the heart um, that really wants to find itself again. And he was unafraid not only to go there, but to see and trust in each person um, that there is this spark of the beloved, of the Buddha nature of the divine that could be touched in a moment. Um, And no matter what it was, there was a possibility for healing and you know, I was reading a lot of Stephen's things, and I just want to read a tiny bit of one of the kind of stories that he would tell a thousand stories of, because he also sat there for a thousand times of it happening. A woman we'd work with had a mother who was very harsh and judgmental and abusive. And then her mother became very very ill, and this woman we work with had been a Dharma practitioner, a student, and she decided that it was her work to sit with her mother. She would just sit next to her mother and do loving-kindness practice and wish her well. And her mother would complain and bitch and, and tell terrible things and how bad her daughter was. And you'd think, well, how could any healing happen here? It felt like just so much separation and pain. <laughs> her mother had been very nasty in her lifetime, and it wasn't ending just because she was dying. This woman, day after day, you know, sat next to her, Sending love and kindness One, on the day that her mother died, her mother looked at her and said, "I hope you roast in hell. I hope that you have the worst possible life." So her mother cursed her really in a way you, you almost can't bear or believe that someone would do that. And her mother died cursing her, and she died with her daughter sitting next to her, looking at her with soft eyes and with an open heart saying, Ma." I hope everything's okay for you. I wish you all the love in the world. Mm. Now, for her mom, it was terrible. But for her, it was wonderful. She was just with another human being who was having a hard time. And as her mother was dying, she was healing into love. And that story really is Stephen taking his place at the bedside with Andrea, taking his place in the prison, taking his place with uh, the sorrows and the sufferings of human beings, which we all are and all carry, and reminding them that their heart could be open. That healing is only a breath away. He was a poet, a healer, a naturalist. He lived as a naturalist out in the country on the border of Mexico and wrote a beautiful poetic book about it many years ago. He was a revolutionary and an author and a publisher who published my books, Joseph Goldstein's, lots of other books. He was a teacher and a servant and a wild hermit and a husband and a father. Not always an ideal father either. And he would say, okay, Stephen, big surprise. You know, <laughs> We have all these sides to us, and that's how we are. We're all human." And he somehow offered the spirit of healing. He pointed to those who were in front of him, to that which was beyond their story, beyond their sorrows, beyond the small sense of self or the body of fear, it's called, um, to something so much greater. He would sit with people in their brokenness and know that you didn't have to be loyal to your suffering. You understand this, yes? Yes. You have to honor it and and grieve it and weep it and heal it. But it's not who you are. And he would look people in the eye and they would feel that he saw something so much deeper than even the sorrows that they'd lived through, that he knew who they really were. You're not your body. You're not your personality. You're not your history. You have to honor those things. And he would rest in what is called the pabassara citta, or the luminous heart, the heart of loving awareness. And to have someone gaze at you with that kind of love in the midst of everything you're going through, you know, and then to do it with sometimes with tenderness or with a spark of humor or with a just a little kind of Zen-turning phrase, really, is that, ah-ah. I can just hear him say, ah People would go open their hearts and tell all these horrible stories. And he would say, ah, yes, and just touch his heart. And you go, okay, it can be held. It's not the end of the story. And he would plant seeds everywhere he went. Seeds of love. Seeds of caring. Seeds of courage. A tremendous amount of courage and wisdom. The fragrance... Of rose bay, sandalwood, and jasmine travels as far as the wind. But the fragrance of virtue and compassion of a life well lived rises even to the gods. It goes out to the galaxies. And so I thank you, Stephen, for your poet's heart, for your great gifts of enormous gifts of love and compassion. For the healing that you brought to so many beings. For the blessings that you offer. And I know that I still carry them. You know, that they're one breath away, as Stephen would say. They're in me and they're in you. They're in all of you who were touched. And even more wildly, they are you. You're not separate from Stephen. Stephen. And when you walk out of this memorial, you carry Stephen and the understanding and the great heart in yourself. And you become the one. You become Stephen to the next person you meet who's in their sorrows or in their struggle or in their confusion. And because they're in you, the legacy you receive is to touch this world with tenderness, whoever it is. One last little thing to say before Noah comes up, his son Noah, um, and this is just a little parenthetical aside, but a couple of us um, are, are working on getting a um, place for Andrea and Taos and looking for a handful of people who might want to help us buy a place that she could use for that time and then you get your money back and if anybody has that capacity and wants to come help please speak with me because they've done so much for, for so many of us and mostly Stephen Dharma brother from so many years I love you and I miss you I really miss you so Noah
1: thank you Jack is when I say a word about Noah, again, Noah may also require no introduction, but isn't it a coincidence that Stephen was what you might call a tough guy, did time in jail, did time with guns, did time with addiction, and out of all that he turned into this extraordinary being. In fact, the last book Stephen wrote was called Becoming Kuan Yin. And I think of how that is an autobiographical statement for Stephen. So it so happens that his son Noah also was a tough guy and did his time in jail and did his time with addiction and ends up guiding an immense uh, sangha. I know it's huge in our country and I think the Against the Stream community might have international groups. Is that true, Noah? So he's, he's carrying on and expanding in his wild and creative way um, this spirit that Stephen started.
4: Well, it's pretty um, wild to try to uh, put into words in front of so many uh, friends and family and strangers. Uh, Something about my father. Uh, as, As both Jack and Uh, Deborah, kind of pointing to my, you know, growing up around uh, death and dying had both uh, positive and maybe some negative (laughs) effects on me. Um, And in some ways, when, when my dad died in January, I sort of felt like, oh, he'd been preparing me for this my whole life, unlike a lot of families where death is hidden and thought of as something that's kind of wrong, or it was so normalized. And uh, so I I can remember being a kid and knowing about death and having terminally ill people around, patients, or going to visit people who are dying. And for many different reasons, I... uh, sort of rejected all things spiritual in my childhood and um, turned to drugs and crime and violence and and at 17 years old I was locked up and my father gave me some meditation instructions and it really changed the whole direction of my whole life and I got sober and I got off drugs and I started practicing and um, Within a year or so after that, I got uh, ready, and I said, I want to do a retreat, and, uh, and he sent me to Jack's retreat, and I uh, started practicing in this community, and <laughs> met Ajahn Amaro, and really, you know, all of that was uh, 30 years ago, and almost 30 years ago, and when... at some point, I asked Steve, I said, you know, I was a teenage drug addict, You knew I was a teenage drug addict. When I was 16, uh, I got emancipated and I just sort of was like, fuck school, fuck you, I'm out of here. And they were like, cool, go ahead. (laughs) You want to be a tough guy? Get a job. (laughs) And of course I didn't get a job, I got three felonies, but... (laughs) And then later, after probably my early 20s when I was practicing and I was recovering and I was... When I asked Dad, I said, um, you know, why didn't you send me to rehab when I was a (laughs) 16-year-old crackhead? And he said... uh, He said, I... uh, He said, my best thinking at the time was if I tried to send you off to rehab, you uh, would have run and we would have lost connection. But that if I... Uh, let you go with with love, and with some level of blessing, and um, that actually, when you were ready, I'd be able to be there for you, and our relationship would be intact. And uh, I said, "Well, that's a pretty big gamble, huh, Dad?" <laughs> and and he was right. And he was absolutely right. Not that that's great advice for parents. (laughs) Um, I'm sending my kids to rehab. (laughs) Like um, so many people in the room, you know, stepping out of the son role, which of course is very central, um, but really he was my teacher. And I've had many teachers, but that initial mindfulness instructions and uh, gradual awakening becoming kind of my Bible reading it over and over and he you know he delivered the Dharma in a way that I could hear and that made sense to me and then later the year to live practice was very powerful um, in my life and Personally, I think that Unattended Sorrow is the best book. I mean, they're all great, but um, I thought that in, Unattended Sorrow was just like the culmination of Stephen and Andrea's life's work, and really the, the, the heart of the matter. And um, It was important, very important to me in my own ongoing practice and healing and tending to my own suffering. so I, I sit here feeling um sad, but also a tremendous amount of gratitude for being born into a family with the uh for me perfect amount of suffering <laughs> and 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 the Dharma um perfect setup to suffer a lot <laughs> young and to start practicing young and, uh, and then having these models and having uh, Stephen, Andrea and Jack and Ramdas and all of these Dharma teachers around me my whole life and that when it came time when Jack started saying, you know, it's time for you to start teaching and Stephen said time for you to start teaching, um, it wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't think uh, that I had to be perfect because I knew none of them were, <laughs> which allowed me to find my own voice in in sharing the Dharma just as as, as they had. So. Uh, Me and my friends, Vinny and Micah, who are here with me today, used to love to make fun of Stephen and his meditation instructions, and it just kind of became an inside joke where we'd just turn to each other and we'd say, levels and levels <laughs> and levels. Or like, why don't you soften your rectum a little bit?
5: <laughs>
4: I mean, all of these like wonderful Dharma teachings. can soften your ass <laughs> so I'm happy to be part of the celebration of uh, a life well lived Thank you Thank you Noah
1: I didn't know that you were also making fun of the the uh, in meditation instructions, we had a little group of people who were also going, relax your elbows, relax your knees, and, and then we'd all laugh, we knew. So take it away.
0: So the next thing I'd like to ask, because it's not just a few of us who were close to Stephen and Andrea. Um, but so many of you who've been touched as you raised your hands. And I'd like to invite you to take a few minutes to turn to a person sitting next to you. It can be two people or three. And take five or ten minutes and tell a Stephen story. Or tell how you, you know, encountered him or what mattered to you in this so that you get your spirit and your voice to be heard in this room with all the rest of us. So... Go ahead, please. So, um, uh, first of all, it's kind of wonderful—the room filled with hundreds of stories of Stephen, you know, all flying around and shared, and and and. The animation and the, the life from Stephen and how he's touched every person in this room. Beautiful to see. So we want to take a few minutes, we don't have a long time, um, to hear a few stories. Hopefully, make them brief so three or four people have a chance to do it. Helga has a mic in the middle. Raise your hand if you have a story to tell that's, um, that you'd like to share a Stephen story. And again, you know, relatively brief, just because of our time. It's but, brief. Yeah.
6: <laughs> so uh, my first beloved and I uh, spent her very long terminal illness. Terminal went on and on and on and on with Stephen and Andrea. And um, many, many times, it completely changed my life, completely completely. Don't know which part is her, which part is Stephen and Andrea. It's all mixed together. So then she died, and I took pictures of her after she died. She was laid out. She was gorgeous, covered in beautiful fabric, flowers, the whole works. And I couldn't wait to show Stephen the picture. So the next workshop, I brought the picture, and I waited to talk to him. And I gave him the picture, and he spent a really long time looking at the picture, and I was like, "What is he? You know, what's going on?" Well, okay, he's contemplating. So I just sat. So finally, he looked up straight in my eyes and said, "I liked her better alive."
7: <laughs> I, just, I just got handed the microphone. As like, actually. I was um, on my way over here this this afternoon, and um, coming over the hill in Fairfax. Oh, I'm Susan Barber, and I worked with Stephen Andre for years um, putting on workshops around the Bay Area with them and in Boston, and um, without Stephen Andre, I actually wouldn't know anybody in this room, um, a room full of dear hearts and people that I've known for 20 years, so I have immense gratitude for that. But driving over the hill, I had this sort of revelation of this voice in my head saying, there might be a chance to say something, and because you worked with them for so long, you really should. And I was like, what? And I realized it was Stephen. And I thought, seriously? No. But um, Cheryl just handed me the microphone. So I just want to say, meeting Stephen was just such an incredibly unexpected um, event in my life. I was sort of dragged to a talk that a friend of mine thought I would enjoy because another friend was dying. And he took me to see Stephen in 1988 in San Francisco at a church. And at the end, my friend who was a Christian monk came out with me very excited and said, well, what did you think? And I said, I don't know what the hell that guy was talking about. (laughs) I'm from New York, we don't talk like that in New York. I don't know about softening my belly or keeping my heart open in hell or any of those other options. Um, I'm just gonna go home now and have a beer or whatever I did. But like three weeks later, literally, um, as my dear friend Jeff was dying, I had um, been avoiding that like the plague and had managed to do it successfully up until this weekend when he was stuck on the toilet and his friends that were caring for him called because I lived the closest and said, please come over. We really need some help. And from that time on, for the next six weeks, we were at the house daily caring for him. And one morning, um, he was very agitated. I was there very early in the morning sitting with him so his father could attend to some things. And I was frantic. I had no idea what to do. He was 40 years old. He was so out of his mind. He had brain cancer. And I just sat next to the bed and this voice said to me, you can soften your belly.
5: Mm.
7: And I was working in the stock market at the time. I was getting a ticker tape that said, literally, you can keep your heart open in hell. And I had my eyes closed watching this ticker tape soften your belly. So I softened my belly. I was holding Jeff's hand like a vice grip. As soon as I softened it, he also softened, shockingly and sat for about 10 minutes with this mantra just playing out in my head. And Jeff and I had the most profound experience and somebody came in downstairs and slammed the door and we both kind of startled and we opened our eyes and he was pretty much had been in a coma and he looked at me and he was like, wow. <laughs> and after that, I went to every workshop, anywhere <laughs> that Stephen was. This was years before stalking was like a vocation and I just, <laughs> was at all of them. And one day Stephen just said, you're here all the time. Why don't you just put these on? And I was like, what? Okay, sure. And so we spent 10 years. And I just can't say how grateful I am. My career, I work, I've been working in end-of-life care for the last 20 years. It's a direct result of that, those workshops. When they stopped going out on the road, I had no idea literally what to do. I was like, I've taken care of people that are dying for 10 years. I've spent 10 years doing this. And somebody said, do hospice. And so for 20 years, I've been so grateful to be able to work with people who go out and support the dying. And every day that I show up at work, it's like Andrea and Stephen are with me. There's absolutely nowhere that he is not. And I'm just so amazingly grateful. And Andrea, God, thank you for everything. And Stephen, I just feel him everywhere, really everywhere. So thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you. A couple more. Go ahead. You can pick. Just look for hands up. Hold it close to your mouth when you do it like ice cream.
8: I'm not used to doing it like you do ice cream. Um, I have so many stories. To narrow it down is really hard. Um, Deborah and I met each other when we were 22 years old. And Deborah led me to Stephen. And Stephen changed my life totally and has been with me every day. Since we used to go down to yucca Valley and when you were there too jack and and um, many years after that, when I was in my forties, I became a grief counselor. I decided I should do something with all this, and um, I was invited to lead a, a support group for parents of murdered children, and my first reaction was, "Oh my god, you know i can 't do that and I thought about it and And I said, yes. And um, so I walked in there. And the group had been being led all wrong. And so I I changed the whole dynamics. But the thing that was with me the whole time that I could do it, and I did it. And I sat in that circle and listened to the most horrible stories that people had to tell. And what kept going through me was, keep your heart open in hell. Keep your heart open in hell. And that, and I did, and it was because of Stephen and you, Jack, and and um, you remember that living dying retreat, that crazy thing. <laughs> that was, um, because of that, I w- I was able to be there for those people with no judgment and not trying to fix them, and just and I and I would just be there and let the tears just come down and be present, and then I'd get in my car and go home and scream, you know, on the way home. But um, I have all of you to thank you for helping me to be that person.
0: One more maybe? Let's go back a little further.
9: Hello, I am Amore. And I met Stephen Levine this morning I had never met him before. I had heard about one year to live, but I had never, I had never um, proceed to investigate more. And this morning I was, I don't know why, I just said I need to go to Spirit Rock page, website page. And I had been here maybe twice in the last 10 years since I arrived to the area. But today, by synchronicity, or maybe because Stephen had prepared something for me, I went and I said, well, who is that? And I went to Wikipedia. You, see, you, you would be surprised to see what you find in Wikipedia about him. But the number eight of his books, of his quotes, was called Unattended Sorrow. And I just felt just the name really call me. I say, wow, something so powerful awakened in me. I went and clicked on Attended Sorrow, and I read, there is a PDF of the of the preface of the introduction. And I start sobbing since the first paragraph. My soul remembered and understood something that I didn't know why I was, you know... My vitality, my spiritual vitality that had been very strong, had been diminishing. And there it says so clearly how this entanglement of sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, unattended or unaddressed, can completely sap your vitality and your hope because it introduces doubt, introduces that sense that you can't go beyond certain, all your dreams starts to, to shrink, and today is a big day. Thank you to Stephen Levine, because I understood when we get the diagnosis, I have a, like, kind, of, kind of a bad case of spiritual cancer. <laughs> Not spiritual, but emotional. And you know, when you understand, and of course I bought the book right away, and it's gonna come in eight days, because you don't have it online, I would highly recommend. You don't have the online version. <laughs> You only have to pay $38 in Amazon if you want to have it <laughs> sent to you. So it was gonna arrive and save my life. But meanwhile, I just want to say that because of these first diagnosis, when, once you know what is the truth, and it resonated so deeply in me, you are halfway cured or it was, it's on your way in the way. Because when you don't understand, it's just buried in your unconscious, and it's still uh, affecting every area of your life. Thank so you. thank you so much. And I know everything about the story of with his wife and everything. I, I just read every, all the life of him.
0: <laughs>
9: thank you, Andrea. What is your name again? Amore.
0: Amore, oh thank you. And what's you. beautiful is it's not just a memorial for Stephen. He's still teaching today. He's, really, <laughs> he's busy, you know. He's actually in the middle of doing it. And so it's beautiful to have that voice. And to realize that we, that we have, as there were, hundreds of stories of Stephen and Andrea and the ways that they've really affected our lives. Um, and it's still so alive, so.
1: Just because we've been sitting for about an hour, I'm, this is not a break. I'm just gonna invite us just for less than a minute, silently please just come to standing, just to stretch a little. And as we're standing, I'm gonna tell you a little something. The next thing we're gonna do is see about 10 or 11 minutes of video of Stephen. We didn't have the videos of his childhood and him you know, being the editor of the Oracle and, and the hate during the beat scene and the merry pranksters and you know, we didn't have all that and him being a dad to all these kids. What we have is video of him teaching. So there's a couch two minutes from 1979 at the retreat that Robin was just referring to, that I was at too. And uh, you get to see that Stephen. And then we go to the mid-90s, I think, is when he published the Breaking the Drought book. And there's a few minutes of Stephen speaking a little bit and reading a poem. And then it goes to the very last few minutes of his very last Dharma talk which is on levinetalks.com. And if you haven't discovered levinetalks.com, Andrea and Stephen have been doing these, what they call the couch talks for the last several years, and they're all available there for free. Let's have a seat and I'll finish telling you this little story. So um, at the beginning of this section, that's just a few minutes, which is Stephen at the very last minutes of his very last Dharma talk, Andrea has already said earlier in the talk that this will be the last one. So the the listener knows that they're both telling us in a certain way goodbye for for this phase. So, um, So I wanted to share that part when we were doing the editing. And then at the beginning of that talk 35, Stephen and Andrea were playing. They were having a good time. They were, he was biting her feet, and they were laughing. And I thought, oh, I really want to somehow get that in there because it shows this playful part of them, and it shows this is, I think, taken four months before he died or so. So it shows you that even though he did go through quite an ordeal of pain, he still had this, this ability to so enjoy and play. But I couldn't figure out how, with the amount of time and the speakers and Jai, I couldn't figure out how do we get that in. So I just let let, let it go. So then, whoops. So I'm not there yet. So then when um, Kevin from Gizmo, the person who was doing the editing and who has done all this work with uh, LevineTalks.com, sent me the link, I pushed it and I watched it and we start there in 1979 and then we go to the poem. And then right after the poem, if you pay really close attention for a moment, there's a little moment of the thing of them playing. And I, so I wrote an email to Kevin. I said, thank you so much. I didn't know how to get that in there. I didn't even mention it to you. And he said, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. <laughs> so I went, oh. Thank you, Stephen. It's a little gift. So right after he finishes the poem and the last few words or something about breaking the drought, watch really close and you might see a few moments of Stephen and a special gift that he somehow managed to get onto this video. Go ahead with the video.
0: To do all of us
10: is to stop postponing death. to come into the very presence of death, to confront death so profoundly that we take it within us, and therefore can go beyond it. As long as we're postponing death, we're postponing life, we're eluding some part of our process, our natural ongoingness. We're excluding ourselves in some way so real acceptance becomes the sixth stage becomes starting to relate to the process that we are it's acceptance and it's the first time where you start taking death inside of you where it's not the enemy where you're not relating to with fear you're relating to fear where you're starting to relate to the mind instead of from it you're starting to keep spacious with whatever arises even with death moments of being spacious with death being spacious with life seeing the process of change that everything ends and begins and ends and begins and ends including this life this thought this idea of death this stage of acceptance where death is taken inside, where death is taken within, where it starts to fall away in its separateness from life, there is often the place where people are starting to see that they're not this body. That may be the first spiritual recognition. And terms like spiritual sort of catch to my throat because there's something real arbitrary and conceptual and it's just another bubble. But the reality is that there's more space to acknowledge who you are. Creation in the constant act of becoming. That kind of acceptance. The last time I read poetry to a group was 40 years ago in a benefit for a hospital that had been bombed in Vietnam. The White Blossom, it was called. I don't remember the Vietnamese name of the place. And everybody from Wavy Gravy to Michael McClure, to everyone was there. All the San Francisco poets were there. And that's the last time I read poetry to a group. Um, I published three books of poetry. And then, uh, as RP says, um, something else called me. And the poetry kind of, the intuition from which poetry is recorded, reported, I found became very uh, important in the connection with patients. And the the intuition, the same place that um, we meet poetry, we meet each other. And when we are meeting each other and one of us is saying, could you give me a hand? The other one says, I got a hand free. Something happens that's really remarkable. The intuition in both, because that other person, when you've had a long intimate connection while perhaps they're dying in the, or healing, whatever process healing takes. Uh, they may well um, be able to understand what you know and what you don't know. And they can direct you to what they need. It becomes exquisite. And that's all at the level we call intuition. Um, it's the, um, the higher level of the subconscious. It's not subconscious. It's a, it's a, it's a higher level of consciousness. And that's where the poetry comes from. So when I started writing again, um, writing i po- I've been writing poetry for a lot. In fact, somebody in some of the books, I think it was who dies, somebody came up quite angry and says, "You know, you're not giving, you're not attributing any of the poetry in your books, <laughs>
5: It's
10: because they're by the author of the book. You don't have to attribute them." <laughs> personally was very angry. I took that as quite a nice compliment, actually. (laughs) So there has been poetry written, but uh, not much, and never, I never, I don't think I've read any of the poems in the course of the years of workshops. Um, The name of this book is uh, Breaking the Drought, and is actually based on the experiences we all had in the southwest here for about eight years, where it didn't rain, hardly at all. And we saw on some forests, 40% of the forests lost to beetle and and other illnesses because they didn't have the strength to resist. You know, spirituality gives us not the strength to resist so much but as gives us a repository, a place where we can uh, hold our strength for when we need it. Uh, It gives us a reservoir of of connection with the place inside of us that uh, is not threatened by death, but it is not in a need to control other people, but really is a place where we are, we are in wonderment of ourselves. Who is this? Who am I is the great question. Who am I may be the most important question we ever ask, and when we stop asking, we know something's going to miss. Because there's never an answer that is solid until the answer becomes, oh. Who am I? uh and to what does uh refer when I say I am we keep thinking we're the and I and it causes us trouble our whole life and it causes everyone near us our friends and family and children the people we meet on the bus people we meet in a store it causes them problems if I think I am I then I think you are you and I, how are we ever going to get across that we're going to pretend to get across it which again gives a part of our strength away. We find ourselves so weak, so weak that we just, there's no place to go. People do not get drawn to spirituality mostly because they love God or they love Dharma. They get drawn to it because our backs are against the wall. We found we don't have connection with our intuition anymore. We find that sometimes only poetry will touch the place, the subconscious inside of us and bring intuition to the surface. And in intuition, we can
5: answer the question, who am I? And what should I do with this pain that I'm embarrassed
10: to show? So poetry has a quality of healing in it. We're connected with a fellow by the name of John Fox. Some of you who have been at our workshops in the past, he was the guy that used to take off his leg and pass it around the group. He's an extraordinary guy. He's had a a, a false leg for many, many, many years. And he really broke through a lot. And in breaking through a lot, he started a group called uh, Medicine Poetry that is being taught all over the country. There's a whole group of, of energy that's coming about saying, you know, this stuff is drawn from the subconscious. It's drawn from the intuition. Maybe you can lead people who hear it back into that place. And in that, finding themselves their own teacher, their own guru, and trusting themselves when something doesn't seem right. This is the first poem of that group. This is called, The Southwest is Eight Years Into a Drought. Droughts can make you superstitious change the way you pray, and to whom. Droughts can make you dream of drums and magic, make you change your religion like old Noah almost did, parched and trembling one night, secretly beside the burning rock, wagering his uncertain soul with God for just a sip of your deep cup. And what a flood it was. Noah had such a big soul, and God loves a gambler who will bet everything to find his original heart and break the trap. Mm-hmm. One of the great things about aging is it insists that we just be. We don't know how to do that. To just be Takes so much love, so much willingness to be seen. Uh, we're all God's fool. This sound of my voice is just the Big Bang continuing. We are so fortunate to not know if we trust not knowing. If we just be. Oh, well, if I just be, then I won't be anyone. Two rabbis, i belly tightens now as I tell no, this no, joke for the ten thousand times.
11: <laughs> I softened. I softened. I was just going to sing "Row, Row, Your Boat." But <laughs> this right. is no, go to the rabbis. To the rabbis. I have two rabbis this. are in the front of
10: the, the show, in front of the temple, and they're straightening things out and looking at the Torah. And they see in the back of the temple is uh, a, a guy sweeping the room. And they're up in front of the, front of the Torah, in front of the the fancy uh, uh, repercussions of believing you're someone and have a religion. Have to be that way, and in front of and they're beating their chest and they're saying, "I'm nobody, I'm nobody," just emphasizing that God is so big and I am so small. It's like a Monty Python movie. And, and I, and I, I am nobody. I am nobody. One, one uh, rabbi says to the, uh, the The cantor says to the rabbi. Back and forth. You see at the back of the room, the guy who's sweeping up. is also saying, "I'm nobody. I'm nobody." And they turn to each other. And they say, "Look who thinks he's nobody." <laughs> you know, the- that's the crazy <laughs> one. <laughs> You can see we are stretching to try to give you more. Um, (laughs) We love you, and we hope that uh, you will take care of yourself.
11: Please, treasure yourselves as we treasure ourselves. You treasure yourself, you'll be okay. Everything will work out. But you got to treasure yourself. Don't be looking outside yourself for someone else to do it first. Row, row. <laughs> row, 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 your row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily, merrily,
10: merrily. Life, Life is but a dream.
11: It's a dream. And we've really enjoyed this dream with you. And we're not disappearing yet. Bye. Namaste.
1: So we're going to go directly into meditation from that. So just take your seat. Yeah, how could we better honor Stephen than by... Practicing loving-kindness. So having seen the images and hearing the teachings, seeing Stephen's extraordinary heart, wisdom, humor, Just notice right now what it's like in the center of your chest. Maybe your heart feels tender, or might feel open, might feel closed. But we bring ourselves down from our thoughts into the heart. Imagine that you can breathe in and out through the center of your chest. Just start with these breaths that go into the heart. Just to remind us of the possibility of opening our heart, and from our heart, we feel our love, our gratitude for Stephen. Just allow yourself To feel what You may feel the grief And the loss You may feel the gratitude You may feel a mixture Silently from our heart So much gratitude Thank you that we knew this person That we've been touched by this being, great gratitude for Stephen, allowing our love for him to help our hearts to open. Stephen, you talked about the great mystery. Wherever you are right now in the great mystery, wherever this dream of consciousness is that is, Stephen, we send you all of our love and our gratitude. We thank you, Stephen. We love you. Sending from our heart the best wishes to this being wherever he is on the journey. Mm -hmm. Gratitude. And Stephen, we wish you well. We wish you the best on this journey. May you always be happy. And Stephen, may you be free.
5: Thank you, Stephen.
1: So just as we practice opening our heart to someone that we so appreciate, Stephen, also practice opening our heart to ourself. We turn that same quality of love toward this one that happens to be yourself. So wishing yourself very best may my heart open may I be filled with loving kindness and just as I wish for Stephen to be free To be happy. To know the true happiness that's caused by no outer conditions. I wish for myself the same thing. May I be happy. May my heart open to myself. May I be free. And as we practice this, practice that Stephen guided us in so many, many times, Maybe our heart is open. Maybe our heart is closed right now. Maybe there's a belief this part is unlovable. This part isn't good enough. And as Stephen would say, that's exactly who needs the love. Take all of this love, all of this kindness, and embrace, love the part of you that seems unlovable. Finally, taking this place of suffering into your heart. Finally opening your heart in compassion to your own pain, to your own sense of separateness, unworthiness, great compassion, great kindness to yourself. As we practice this loving kindness towards ourselves, sometimes our heart opens, sometimes the opposite. We open to that. We let ourselves be. As Stephen would say, we have mercy, have mercy, on just how it is right now. Great love and kindness to myself Just as I am No place excluded Be afraid to wish yourself the very best. May I be happy. May I know the great relief of an open heart. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I have the joy of sharing love and kindness with others. And from the center of your chest, wish yourself silently the very best well wishes you can imagine. Stephen would often quote the Buddha saying, Learn to hold yourself as you would hold your only child. So we open our hearts to ourselves and we wish ourselves happiness and well being. May I be happy be free and as we continue to open our heart we find that loving kindness falls equally on every being so we then expand the meditation we expand our heart Aware of everyone in this room. Love and well wishes to every being here. And this love can't be contained in this room. We feel it, we imagine it now, expanding, expanding. As Stephen guided us so many times, we feel our heart expanding, around this earth to include every being may every being be happy may every being everywhere live in health and safety may every being everywhere live in ease and well-being heart expands around the earth, great loving-kindness to every being. May all hearts open. May we all come home to the great heart, which is completely interconnected, completely in love with each other. Great love to every being. May all beings everywhere be happy and may all beings everywhere be free. Eyes. I think it would make Stephen happy if we all practiced that every single day, many times. So, our next speaker is someone who definitely doesn't need much of an introduction. It's our beloved Ramdas, who is speaking to us on Skype from his home in Maui. Hello, Ramdas. We're going to wait. We don't yet see you. So, We're waiting to get a visual of you. I'm assuming, as we're waiting to see you, I'm assuming everyone knows that, there we go, that Ramdas says as much silently as he says. There he is. Hello, we're waving. Uh oh. We can't hear you yet. We don't have volume yet. Let's see if we can get some volume.
5: <laughs>
1: Ramdas, so far you're giving us the silent transmission. is the person at Spirit Rock sure that we have ours oh, correct Aaron are you here <laughs> So Rhondas, I don't know if, if you can hear us. You're having a good time. <laughs> this is Maharaji's big joke. We can't hear you yet, but we're working on it. Yes. Oh. yes. Okay. We're back. Ah. Uh.
12: herder don't the screen
10: barely barely <sighs>
12: It's a beautiful program. Beautiful. And Stephen Durick deserved it. Yeah. I'm a friend of Stephen a friend in a special way. We were spiritual friends. We were soul buddies. We had a a um, book we did, up, uh, Steve and I, Chris for the Mill. And he wrote into wrote a note and said the collaborators are, the collaborators for this work Occurred uh, the collaboration occurred on a plane with the beings collaborating, were no one in particular. <laughs> That's when we start. That's what we, our friendship, whose friendship with who <laughs>
5: did,
12: a, did a lot of work with dying with prisons. With just our regular people. We ran research, we had retreats. We gave talks, and we sat bedsides.
5: Our, our
12: um, dying birth included a dark Elizabeth Kubler-Ross She trained both of us. You should be so lucky as to have a spiritual friend like like Stephen. Every time I called and he called, we had a joyous, joyous review of the times of this life. We started. In San Francisco, we went to Santa Cruz, we went to New Mexico. even if, if our bodies got, if, <laughs> even our bodies got to be a problem, we still have fun. We still have the fun of aging. My body is now 85, I'm, I am in here, I am timeless. Timeless and loving, and so is Stephen, timeless and loving mm. just a, just a few days a later, later, few days. Uh, I go. I talk to Stephen. Hmm. You know, when you're, when you love, when you love somebody, you talk across planes. And and he was very content. Mm -hmm. He reminded me. Emmanuel, who is uh, over there, who has come to, to visit me, and he said, Death, Death. It's like taking off a tight shoe. The other time he said, death is absolutely safe. And Stephen gave me feeling that his death was absolutely safe. This whole thing is for you. <laughs> You're a soul. You don't have the body we, we, we paid attention to, we love you, we love you very deeply. And this room has love for you. That gives you a blast of love. I hope you'll be my friend in, in, in the future. <laughs> oh, God. Goodbye, everybody. Nam- namaste, Namaste,
1: Namaste, Namaste, Namaste. namaste. We love you, Ramdas. Thank you. Namaste. Mm-hmm. So, our beloved Andrea.
6: Oh. <laughs> wow. this, is,
11: this is surreal. <laughs> um, my friends helped me write something because um, I'm a bit of a basket case at times and, you know, the fog of grief and, you know, the greatest illusion <laughs> is death. So we have to honor the pain we feel, knowing that uh, we're all going the same way and we'll all meet in the same place. But life has a lot of illusions and we have to honor those as I honor my grief now. So I wrote some things to, and I hope it's not too confusing, but give it a try. Certainly want to thank you all for showing up for the celebration of Stephen's life. It's not easy after 40 years of 24-7. Living life of a hermit with him was easy, but living life as a hermit without him is so difficult. He was a special man an awesome teacher, as you all know, uh, just clarity upon clarity when it came to explaining the Dharma. He was brilliant. He was just brilliant. But now I have to face my life as a solo act. And to be truthful, I thought he'd be the one that would be sitting and talking to you. You know, Most of you know I have various elements that I never, uh, I never imagined it would be me. But my next challenge since fulfilling my vow to Stephen to care for him through his death is to live and love. And really, that's really all I care about is to, just to love and, and love well and to keep up my practice so that when it's my time, I can go as lovingly and consciously. But he was more to me than a husband. He was my partner in work and in life, which for us was the same thing. We were each other's teacher. At times, he took care of me when I was ill, and I took care of him. From the moment we met, we walked the path side by side. I was in a small death and dying group in Taos. There was six of us. And one of the fellows in the group said, you have to come and meet my best friend, Stephen Levine. He's this death and dying teacher. And I was pretty arrogant, (laughs) very arrogant. (laughs) And I was young and I thought, what can I learn? I know everything. I've been doing this since I was sixteen, you know, and so uh, I thought, well, I've never been to a retreat. I'll try it. So I saved my money and I went to the retreat. And the moment we met, we've been together ever since. I knew him. I knew his heart, and he knew my heart, and. Uh, I've never had anything like that. I was never loved. Not like that. Uh, Immensity. I was a basket case when I met him. I mean, I had my strengths. We all have our strengths. But I had a lot of growing up to do, a lot of work on myself. I had been practicing, but uh, it got more serious when we practiced together. So from, I went to, this was was at the Lama Foundation in 78 and uh, I left there with him and it never changed. He flew back, packed his stuff and came out. And believe me, I'd never had any experience like this. Uh, It it was frightening and awesome. (laughs) Often when a teacher dies, People tend to pedestalize him, making the teacher out to be more than he really was, as if what he was wasn't enough. And trust me, Stephen would have hated that kind of objectification. He was a human, a remarkably wise, patient, heartful man, but certainly not infallible despite having meditated for 60 years, despite being literally the kindest, most caring person I have ever met, there were still times when he was angry, afraid, sad, especially when his body and brain could no longer serve him as they once did. Mm -hmm. Stephen helped so many people find their heart, and so many people make sense of their pain and suffering, And he really taught them how to manage it better. And uh, he also had so much gratitude for what he learned from all the people that we did work with. Because it wasn't just one way, us sharing with them. They shared their heart and their pain and their suffering with us, which was such an honor that people, strangers, would trust us that much I mean, just a profound experience to be with these many beings and to be with them through their leaving their bodies. He did his best to walk through his death with as much grace and mercy as possible. Stephen never really let anyone know that he had been so sick for many years. He had severe migraines, <laughs> nerve disease crippling back pain and a steady deteriorating quality of life. Stephen, as some of you already know, chose the time of his death. It breaks my heart to know that part of the reason he chose to go when he did was because of me. He knew given the work we do that there's nothing more personally And financially exhausting than caring for someone you love with chronic pain and a degenerating brain disease. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to burn me out or burn through what remained of our savings. He wanted me to have a little more time on this plane to be free and alive. I see this as his last great act of love for me, although I would do anything to have him back. This past year, was especially difficult for us. It was challenging enough to be Stephen's only caregiver. But uh, one day, uh, I had a really bad car accident. I had dropped him at the dentist, and somebody ran a stop sign Mm-mm. 40 miles an hour into my driver's door, oh, totaled the car, and totaled me. But I, when I say me, I just the body. Um, I know, but I mean, my heart was okay. It didn't, didn't take the Dharma away. It brought the Dharma closer. Um, so there I was. I, I got knocked out. I've never been in a car accident in my life. I've been so blessed you know, to not have that. And um, my car door was crushed, and I was just knocked out unconscious for a bit. I don't know how long. And then there was somebody trying to get me out of the car. And the person started to open the door and she looked up and she said, Are you Andrea Levine? (laughs) Uh, I said, yes. (laughs) I didn't exactly know what that meant after that big crash. And she said, I've been looking for you for weeks. (laughs) My mother is dying. (laughs) I was racing to the hospital to see her before she died, and you know, I raced into you. (gasps) And I said, you know, I I'm so sorry. I I can't help you now. I just can't. (laughs) But then, just because, you know, rescue types, I know you're out there. I got out of the car and I went and she was in shock and I wasn't. I was shocked and and like this, but I wasn't in shock. So I held her hand until the ambulance came and said goodbye. (laughs) And then they wanted me, of course, in the ambulance. I couldn't go in the ambulance. I had just left Stephen at the dentist and he was really confused. There was no way. I had no phone with me, just sloppiness. But I really had no one to call. We lived as hermits. I really didn't have friends. We didn't have friends. Our friends are here. They weren't in New Mexico. So I had no one to call. I didn't know what to do. So I asked the police to drive me to a rental car, and I got there five minutes before it closed, or I wouldn't have had a thumb home. I don't know what I would have done. And uh, just I had to get him home. He was my commitment. And then I spent about ten months in bed with him, except I'd leave to get food or whatever, but very little because uh, my body was messed up really messed up. Um, I had cracked seven teeth, knocked my jaw out so I couldn't eat, knocked my hip out and all, and it was just bizarro. It was bizarro. Um, having Never had that experience. So a lot of people have asked me what I'm going to do, and I'm still really trying to get my body reasonably back with physical therapy and all of that kind of stuff. And One of the things, I mean, I was so naive. I thought they would put me back together. And I'm not that way gonna be together, but it's workable. And I thought that somehow I would find some peace in the process. I had never dealt with insurance companies. (laughs) I guess you have. Wow. They were so mean, they were just so mean you know, they'd say the checks in the mail, and I wouldn't hear from mom, and then they'd start calling me, and I'd have to talk to them, and I I was confused. I had a brain injury. I had a, a post-traumatic stress, and I'm still dealing with memory problems from the hit in the head. Oh. A lot of ask, people have asked me what I'm going to do, and I don't really want to plan too much. I just want to experience reality, you know, as it unfolds, and You know, you know, I mean, to not have him with me. I know he's okay, and I know I'll be okay, and I hear him. If I talk, if I speak to him first, I hear a response. Now, I know it's it's my head. I know I've been with him so long. I do not have the illusion. Uh, It's mind-only, really. It's mind-only. That's really all I can say, because... um, It's confusing at times, but I know he's fine. Uh, So again, you know, I'm still dealing with a lot of body issues. and I'm opening up to my own life. I'll probably continue being a hermit. Um, That's just my nature. But I'd like to go out and and see people. Um, I might start a death cafe in Taos. Uh, And I plan to come to California like three or four times a year because... I just love it here, and I love the energy and the people um I'm, I have epilepsy, which I've never really spoken about much, but Stephen was my service dog He took care of me he It was like almost except for twice every time I had a grandma's seizure, he was there. It was a miracle over thirty years of having seizures, he was there all every time but twice, and the two times. We're tough. So I'm thinking I'm going to try to find a a service dog and get a puppy because I need something to do and somebody to nurture and, you know. uh, So I wanted to say how deeply grateful we are for the support that you've all given us, financial, but especially the love. I swear I feel it. I just, I feel it, illusion or not, it it supports me, you know, and I still do the apology page, which I love, and uh, I could never thank you enough for all you've given, because you allowed me, both financially and the love, to stay with him till the end, and if any of you have ever worked with anyone with brain involvement, it's, insane. Mm. At times, he was normal, brilliant, loving, and at times, he was someone I didn't know.
5: Mm.
11: Raging. Mm. I was the enemy, and I couldn't say the things he said, but then when he'd come back, he didn't know. He was sorry if he remembered, and it didn't matter. My commitment was to the end. And I adored him. We were just so blessed. We even did our DNA and found out we were related. (laughs) (laughs) We just had a feeling, you know, well, being Jewish and. Jewish in the culture, you know you are often, if you're from that same part of Europe, distantly related, but we were. I we thought it's good we didn't have children, I guess <laughs> anyways, uh, he's fine, he is so fine. I just feel his concern for me, and Ramdas too has been very generous and kind to me. I hear him in my years in my heart, and he says, pay attention, live well, forgive, and most of all, to treasure myself. I wanted to, a month before he died, I turned 70. I can't even believe I made it this long. God, I mean, if very you know the list of the stuff that's gone through me, it's just amazing I'm still alive. I thought I was going to be dead so many times, but... What did I know? So on my pillow on my 70th birthday, he had mostly stopped writing. When you saw him uh, doing the poetry reading, that was really about seven, eight years ago, and you could see was really starting to get sicker. When we were sitting on the couch, you could hear it, or I could hear it in his voice, because uh, he wasn't a big drug person, but he certainly had to take a lot to just... You know, he was still in pain. Uh, like I said, and we just held hands for almost 10 months. At one point in bed all the time. And wow, it was the worst year of my life. And I wouldn't change it for anything. I learned so much about patients. Um, I never thought, I, I always thought I had some. But <laughs> living with a crazy person. I, so in a sense, even that taught me I had strengths I didn't realize I had. So this is what he left me. Our love simply is. An eloquent river flows between us. The sky befriends the mountains. Even passing clouds cannot obscure. We sleep joined at the heart of the matter. And this is the first thing he had written in years. And now he's in my cells and he's in my bones, and he is forever in my heart. And uh, it's really hard to look at his face, and I will try my best to keep loving, loving you, loving myself, maybe teaching some if I can get my brain straightened out, but I don't know if I can, but uh, I know I can do a death cafe. And again, thank you. This is just like I'm in a fog. This is just... uh, awesomely wonderful, and Deborah has done so much, and Jack has done so much, and uh, I'm a little overwhelmed at the love. But thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming and allowing this. Um, Because I really, I couldn't gather myself to do a funeral or do any of that in New Mexico. I just didn't have it in me, I really didn't. And so this is just an awesome blessing and a closure for me that that uh, I really needed. So thank you so much for supporting my illusion too. Thank you. <laughs> Treasure yourselves. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Andrea. I just want to say the words that I know the room, everybody in this room is just th- thanking you for the immense love you have given to all of us And especially, Andrea, in addition to all the love you've given us for all these decades, thank you for the level of selfless giving you gave to Stephen under those conditions. Thank you so much. I know that both of you were becoming Kuan Yin. (laughs) I know that. Thank you.
5: So,
0: As we get... Close to the end of this. Um, I'd like to invite uh, Noah and Andrea to come back up here. Let me move this table out just a tiny bit to do a little ritual and like to ask for your help. There's a ball of string there. Would you pass it just down the first row from one person to another? Put it in your hands. Stand by the bell. The ritual is this. There is a a string that you can see that goes from the hands of Prajnaparamita, who is the heart of the Buddha and the mother of the Buddha, the form of the feminine awakened, and then through the hands of the image of the Buddha and wrapped three times around this bowl and pitcher full of water and rose petals. And this for you, Andrea, is uh, Ganges River Water. I've had it for... 30 years and um, it's just part of the ritual. So this goes through the hands of a lot of friends and people who love Stephen um, and symbolically it really goes through all your hands and your hearts. And what I'm going to ask them to do in a moment is to very slowly pour water from this pitcher into the bowl of flower petals um, which is a traditional ritual that symbolizes Um, the letting go of one form and the moving into a greater form as has happened for Stephen and will happen for all of us Um, and when this is done traditionally there's an invitation for all who are present, all who are holding this cord and all who are holding the cord in your hearts and imaginations to offer your loving kindness as we did in the meditation with Deborah, and offer your goodness, the moments that Stephen touched you, the moments that you, like Stephen, have touched another and cared for another, Um, all the blessings of your life that Stephen, spirit, wherever you are, Stephen, may be carried, um, just as you're carried by your own good heart, by all of those who are with you, so if you would, and I'll do a little chant as you do it. Sāpītiyo iwachantu, Saafar ko Iasaatu <coughs> mādepo Sukiti Kayu kobowa Habuwaana na Sanichang Huutaba no jataru taawatandhi Ay Wa And just as the full moon shines down, this silver light on all, everywhere, without exception, just as the rains pour down when there's been a drought, as in Stephen's poem, and nurtures all of the earth to come back alive. So may the offerings that you offer in your hearts and the pouring of this water is a symbol of it carry Stephen's spirit wherever you are Stephen with blessings and love and a connection that is undying and may it be so and you can put the just put the string down
1: so before we have our Final chanting, I'm going to read a poem that Stephen wrote. It's called Millennium Blessing. There is a grace approaching that we shun as much as death. It is the completion of our birth. It does not come in time, but in timelessness, when the mind sinks into the heart and we remember. It is an insistent grace that draws us to the edge and beckons us to surrender safe territory and enter our enormity. We must pass beyond knowing, and we fear the shedding. But we are pulled upward nonetheless through forgotten ghosts and unexpected angels, luminous, and there is nothing left to say, but we are that. And that is what we sing about. <clears throat> so, I was thinking when Andrea talked about the problems that went on with his brain and how he wrote the poem, we must pass beyond knowing and we fear the shedding. Well, Uh, We're going to finish this event with a kirtan. Before that kirtan, I do want to make just a little announcement which is right after the kirtan, everyone is invited to join down at the uh, dining hall which is right at the bottom of this little hill for a little simple reception and refreshments and more stories and memories about Stephen and also to enjoy this sort of Reunion of Woodstock is what it feels like to me. I basically know 90% of you in the room. And it's, it's wonderful to be here. So um, if I was asked to remind you, if you don't know where the restrooms are at Spirit Rock, there's some right outside. When you walk outside the doors and you look on the right, there's um, restrooms. And if anybody needs a ride down the hill, there's these little golf carts and there's people ready to help anyone who would need a ride. So right before this last kirtan, I want to say that Noah hoped that we might, as he said, send the old man off with a dance. So we'll see what happens, but um, we know that Daniel and Jai have it in them, and so if anybody feels like standing and moving when it starts to rock a little, we'll do that um, in a way of sharing our love, our joy with Stephen. Okay, Jai.
2: Let's sing Jaya Sita Ram. Let's say that. Jaya, Jaya. Sita Ram. And in and, and, and this kirtan, we, we kind of shorten Sita to be Sia. And, and it just rolls off the tongue in a sweeter way. And again, it's singing to the divine couple, and uh, Sita and Rama. But in my heart right now, I'm think, singing to the divine couple, Andrea and
0: Stephen. And you can roll the string back up and send it back this way.
3: Jai Jai Si Aram Jai Jai see-a-rum. Jai Si Jai Si Aram Jai Jai Si Aram Jai Si Aram Jai Jai Si Aram
2: Jai Jai see-a-rum. Jai, see-a-rum. jai, jai, see-a-rum. jai, jai. Jai jay jay Siaram,
3: jay Siaram, jay Siaram,
2: Jai, Jai, Sia Ram Jai, Ram Jai, Jai, Ram Jai, Ram
3: Jai, Jai ja siaram, Jai ja siaram, Jai
2: ja siaram, ja ja siaram, ja ja siaram, ja ja siaram, ja ja siaram, Jai ja siaram, Jai ja siaram, ja ja siaram,
3: ja ja siaram,
2: ja